Welcome to the Georgetown Christian Church Podcast. Join us for worship at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sundays. Information about groups, studies, events, and electives is on our website at georgetownchristian.org. Good morning, Georgetown Christian. Hey, we're going to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. And uh, I understand I have one extra hour to preach today. That's like one joke I get every year that I'm going to say because, you know, you're laughing nervously. That's why it's funny. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure. We're in a, a new series called Let's Eat. And I'm not sure how meals go for you, but uh, for us, meals were often a time where uh, we might celebrate something great, like Andrea and I, I remember having meals with our parents to tell them, hey, we've got big news and we're pregnant. Maybe you, like that, will use meal time with your family to to celebrate that somebody got a good grade or that somebody got to sit with their friends or a birthday or an anniversary or the completion of a big project at home or at work or at school. Sometimes mealtime is where we have those necessary but challenging conversations. Like one spouse saying to the rest of the family and their spouse, This week is going to be crazy, like with three syllables, super packed. And I need your help. I need your help with groceries and meal prep and transportation and laundry and chores. And I just, I need all of your help this week. It's a big week. And that's a tough conversation. But man, everybody's going to have to pull some extra weight this week. Maybe it's a different kind of tough conversation. Maybe this, earlier this week, maybe a spouse sat down at that table and said, honey, I think it's time we talked. We need to pull the Christmas tree out. And some of you are like, oh, I just want to put my fall decorations up and then like have turkeys all over the house and play Thanksgiving music. You know, I don't know how many songs there are about like sweatpants and stuffing and sweet potatoes, but in my house, that playlist is already over. Hard conversations sometimes happen at mealtime. It's also the time of year where you and I are having to discuss what do our plans look like going into the holidays? What are we going to do with our extended families? And so maybe for some of us, that's, that's filled with excitement as we think about joining together with our family and our friends around the table for another meal. And maybe for some of us, it's a really sensitive topic because maybe around your table, Maybe a family member or friends that you often ate with would just use that time at the table to just launch. And it's like they had a captive audience, and during that time they could share everything they thought was wrong with their boss or one of your mutual friends. Or if it was really bad, maybe they just use that time because you're captive, they can just tell you what all is wrong with the whole family. I don't know what mealtime is like for everybody, but the church has struggled with mealtime some. You might remember at the very beginning, we had a meal in a garden that kind of set history on quite a different trajectory. Adam and Eve chose to eat from a tree they're not allowed to eat from. Things got really messed up in one meal. 
And then we see that God comes into the story and begins bringing hope and inspiring faith and trust in him. We see the Passover instituted where, Jesus, uh, where God says, look, I want you to remember my faithfulness. And you're going to do it in this meal called a Passover, which pointed to Jesus. And then you see Jesus take that theme and say, look, I'm the fulfillment of the Passover. And you see, Stephen, I love it. Don't mistake that something that's cheap was not, something that's paid for was not very expensive. Jesus reminds us that we're to take his body and his blood every week, thereby joining ourselves with him and remembering that it's by his death and resurrection that we're entered into the new covenant with Jesus. That happens every Sunday right here in another meal. And we saw Jesus use meals all through the New Testament to bring hope, to restore faith, to to put into people the value that he saw in them, to express the kingdom of God. He put it into parables to explain what it would be like to become part of the kingdom of God or to miss out on the kingdom of God. Then we saw the church born, and while she was sharing a lot of time together, she ate meals together, and then immediately, because the church is full of people, Raise your hand if you're a people. I'm a people, and you're a pe- we're all people. And so once there were people, there were problems. So you've got the church in Corinth where all these people are gathering to celebrate communion at a, a communion feast, much more food than what we're having at communion. And the people who were really wealthy, they showed up early, and they ate all the food, and they drank all the wine. And of course, that was a problem. And then we had... Peter, who, when certain people were around, observed certain customs at a meal, and we had some more issues around mealtime within the church. But we see their trajectory from beginning to end of God using mealtime to place a special emphasis on his faithfulness and his grace at work in our lives. That is our, that is his people's lives, and when his grace is at work, and when we're exercising our faith by walking obediently in what he has made clear for us to do, well then, he is glorified, which is kind of this whole story, the restoration of God's glory. Now, at our last meal out here at the shelter house, thank you to our cook team, Mark and Tommy and Trent and I know Cousin Joe helped out there and Gary. Thank you to all of those that helped out at our picnic. It was delicious. But my favorite thing about that meal is how our body of believers, those of us who go to different worship hours and different electives and we're in different groups and maybe you're in a men's study or a women's study, how our whole body got to be together to begin to get to know the names and faces of people who maybe they're worshiping at a different time. But we're all members of the same body gathering in the same building at different times. I loved that about our picnic. So coming up in two weeks, I don't need to say everything that Robin just said, but slash events or in the lobby, you should sign up to bring a dish so that we don't have 53 green bean casseroles. As much as I love green bean casserole, we don't need 53. We need to have a variety. So sign up. And that would be the request of the family that is helping us prepare 
all the turkey in the world. We're going to have smoked turkey. We're going to have baked turkey. We're going to have deep fried turkey. And by God's grace and our obedience, we're going to not only have turkey, but we're going to have testimonies. Because again, it's my prayer that God will use a meal time to build his church together in unity and then to reflect the glory that's due back to him to him by our being faithful to share just what he's doing in our lives. So if you would like to talk to me about what it's like to share a testimony, I would love to help you formulate something you could say. You could say it at just your table. You could say it to all the tables. I don't have a prescriptive plan for what this should look like other than I want our church to begin sharing with one another purposefully what God is doing in our hearts and our lives. We're in Acts chapter 6 this morning. We're starting in verse 1. Would, would you all stand for the reading of God's word, please? We're going to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I would ask that you open your scriptures there. Load your app. It will be on the screen, but you may want to make notes this morning. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers... Select seven men who are well-respected. They're full of the Spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius. Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And hear this, Georgetown, don't miss this. Many of the Jewish priests converted too. You may be seated. The word of the Lord. All right, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. I want to start out with three points and three problems. We won't have this on every verse, and not every verse will be one pit stop for us. Some of them will be clumped together. And I have a lot more information on the first two verses, so bear with me. We'll pick up a whole bunch of speed as we go downhill. But I want to start in verse 1 looking at three points and three problems. Number one, it's normal for churches to grow. An organism grows. That's natural. When an organism's growth is inhibited, if it's a living organism, it's because something is wrong. It has an itis of some kind. It has inhibited its growth. Or if it's a plant, it hasn't got what it's need, like sunlight or water, nutrients in the soil. Paul calls the church a living organism. He calls it a body through all of his writing, and I'm just picking one verse. He says to the Corinthians, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He's trying to get them to understand the fighting is not helping. It's inhibiting their growth. So before the problem arises, what do we see in the church? 
we see rapid growth. We see rapid growth in the church. And after the problem is solved, verse 7, what did we see there? Continuous and rapid growth. Now, point number two, bad news goes up, not sideways, not down. And lest you think I've just brought like HR-isms into our church because I want you to do HR things, let's just examine this across the New Testament super briefly. How about just uh, three examples? So Paul and Barnabas have an issue on their missionary journey, and where do they take the issue that they can't solve? Where do they take that issue? Do they just stay in these churches that they're evangelizing and teaching and just kind of let everybody rumble and grumble and complain? No, they go to Jerusalem. They take the problem up. Bad news goes up. Problems go up. What about the Corinthian church? Who did the Corinthian church appeal to when they had lots of issues? They talked to Paul. And what about Timothy when he had issues in the church at Ephesus? To whom did he go? They went to Paul. And so you can see that not only does that become um, at the outset of the church, the way they handle the problem, but even carrying on into the second generation, Paul and Timothy, third generation, we see the same habits and practices that the problems go up, the bad news goes up, not sideways and not down. This is really important for a church to remain healthy. And we can see this here as we read Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. There is an exception, however, that's important to note. When you have an issue with another believer who is in sin against you specifically, you go to the believer. Then if they don't turn from their sin, you go with another believer. And if that doesn't work, then you bring in an elder. So Jesus gives us an exception that is very early in the church in Matthew chapter 18. So number three... Third point, and then we'll go to three problems. Third point is, it is normal for the church to care for widows. It begins in Exodus. We see it established in the church. We see it carried on through. It is normal for the church to care for widows. All right, now three problems. Number one, the church was exploding in numbers. That's not the problem. The problem is Luke's observation. Luke's observation is notable. The church is exploding in number successfully with great fruit. The apostles are evangelizing and they're disciple making. The church is exploding. But the problem is before it finally makes it to the 12, the apostles, before it makes there, there's this Greek word that we don't even need to say out loud. It's translated three different ways in the New Testament, rumbling, grumbling, and complaining. And it really means a lot of the sideways energy stuff that gets nothing solved and everybody all itchy and, and fussy and, and really not, not moving towards the mission, essentially. It's a bunch of sideways noise and energy that you can imagine how to the world that might look. So bad news was not going up yet, problem number one. Problem number two is just what the text says it is. Those who were Greek-speaking and those who were Hebrew-speaking were being treated differently, thereby unfairly. That is a horrible look for the church. Now, how in the world 
did this become a problem in the first church? So I just, I think uh, sharing a story might help you. I was coming back with my family um, when I was younger, probably fifth grade-ish. From Atlanta visiting family, we're driving north. It must have been Christmassy-ish time. I don't know, spring break. And it started snowing and the ice was getting really bad. And all of a sudden there were like snow plows that weren't plowing. They were just parked blocking the interstate. And there was a state patrolman who they, I guess, scooted his car out on the ice. And they're just saying, here is your exit. You may want to go north, but you're going to stay here in somethingsville, Kentucky. And you're going to go to this hotel because it's the only one with room left. And you're going to stay there, which as a kid was so exciting because I got to swim, I got to eat out, I got to stay in a hotel with cable. It was so fun, basically because I missed school. But as parents, imagine how this is going. I was not planning to buy a hotel room tonight to buy three meals for four people today to stay in a hotel room again and to buy three more meals and just pray that God would please remove the snow he put there because that was Kentucky's plan for snow. So, so imagine, imagine that. Your family didn't expect this, and now you're stuck there. But when you have resources, you can care for yourself. When you can get to a restaurant, you can solve your food problem. But when you can't get to a restaurant, you can't solve your food problem. When you don't have the means by which to buy the food, you can't solve your food problem. So there are two maybe... Two main reasons we think there might have been widows here who were just not cared for. Number one, they came for the feast of the Passover and they stayed for the birth of the church. They saw things they'd never seen, experienced hope in a way they never had, and had community like they'd never seen before. They weren't leaving. And they stayed in Jerusalem and maybe their family was leaving. Uh, The second reason some people think that this could have been why there were many widows with lots of problems there, is people in this culture would go home for their last years of life. Maybe that's why there were, we can't fully know why they're all there. Third problem, when the body isn't growing together, serving one another, living in the community that Jesus has created his body to be. It is definitively people in community. When it isn't growing together, serving one another, the church is a witness against herself. So if you can imagine widows of different races with different languages arguing about who's not getting fed and who is getting extra. And you can imagine that formerly this was a group of people who said, my life has been transformed. And if you can imagine the disparity between the message they're sharing with the community and then the activity that the community is seeing, there's infighting, there's unfair treatment, there appears to be an element of racism here. Um, These don't match. Is it that hard to imagine, believers? That's not real hard to imagine right now, is it? Because we have friends who say, I'm a Christian, and they live in this way that appears to be very not Christ-honoring, and then you're over here trying to share, like, this is how God has transformed my life, and they're saying they're a Christian, and you're saying you're a Christian, and now you can see what was happening in the early church. The church is a witness against herself. So those are the three problems that we see right away in verse 1. Now in verse 2, 
So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles, we should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So the solution was immediately to gather believers, immediately say something about there's a problem, and we're gathering then to resolve that problem. And that could have been a lot of believers. It could have been thousands of believers by that time. Some people might have gone home, but as we can see, some people clearly stayed. How does this come off to you when you first hear it? If you just dissect it and you segment it and you leave it up here, it almost starts to look really not so hot. And if we just stay stuck in our Western modern perspective, it's going to remain looking very bad. But I would encourage us to travel back in time to the New Testament and to remember who these people are. They're apostles. We don't have apostles now. We have elders. And so just a quick comparison Maybe a contrast. So an elder is someone who is called by God for the shepherding and leadership of his church. That's God's mission executed through God's people. And that's an elder. So they're called by God, confirmed by the church for the purpose of the mission. And then you have what some of us might be imagining right now, and it is not the same. That's a politician. A politician is someone who... They might say they're called by God, but a politician is a person who is saying, I want to be elected. I want to be voted on by you, but I want to be voted on by you, and this is very distinct. I want to be voted on by you to represent your wishes for our government. So a politician may or may not be called by God, but they're voted on for the purpose of expressing your wishes. Elders, okay, the closest thing we have to apostles, called by God, to shepherd and lead God's flock for the purpose of his mission, not for what we want. So let's make sure that we've got those people straight and we don't think of these guys as politicians or representatives in a democracy because it's the church. It's not a democracy. And the voting of the two, really voting happens for politicians. Confirming happens in the body of Christ so remember Jesus' commands, because this is what the apostles go back to when it's time to make a tough decision, because widows are being treated unfairly. So they go back to this, and let's just remember the way Luke records it, okay? You've got Mark's Great Commission, you've got Matthew's. Now we're just going to look at the way Luke says it in the same book, Acts chapter 1. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he gave them a very clear purpose, twofold purpose, about which we have just had two sermon series, and we'll briefly review specific directives. The result of Jesus' charge to evangelize the lost and to disciple the saved looks like the two series that we just walked through together. Remember, evangelism, big scary monsters of evangelism. We debunk the lies that Satan tells us because we want to be clear on our mission. Evangelism number one is one person telling another person, pop quiz, rhymes with Jesus, about Jesus, you guys are awesome. Okay, and then the second thing we learned is that we don't have to have all the answers. We must be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus 
and that when we come under persecution, the Holy Spirit will provide the answers that we need to those who persecute us. And, and then we learned that whenever we're asking the question, like, how do I share my faith? We answer that question with a question, who's going to get the glory in our story? And friends, we started talking about the importance of a testimony. As a church, we've talked in men's group, at men's breakfast, in some of our electives, in some of our life groups, at different times about the work that God has done in our lives. And when we share where we were, what, ha- what God has done, and who we are now as a result of God's work in our lives, our willingness to obey, we're sharing a testimony. So we've begun doing that, but I'm inviting you specifically to make two weeks from now about more than Turkey. I want to see this church grow in unity as we see God working in each other's lives. We're just sharing testimony. So it can be Turkey, but I want it also to be testimony. It it has to be more than just eating food because we see God and we see Jesus redeeming that mealtime to reflect his people's faith in him. Georgetown, that's what we have to do. If you need help developing that testimony, I'm your guy. Call me, let me know. If you don't like doing things with me, I'll find people you like doing it with. And we'll have some testimonies to share when we have fried and smoked and baked turkeys and not 53 green bean casseroles. So before that, before evangelism, we discussed the other of this two-pronged approach Jesus gave his apostles. We're rooted in verse 2 right now after looking down wondering, how far off the rabbit trail have we gone? It's verse 2. Verse 2. Remember, the apostles are giving this work over because they have a two-pronged mission, evangelize and disciple-make. That is their mission. We talked about ancient ways for a digital age. And in that whole series, we explored how critical it was for the early church and now for our church, that's you and me, to be rooted in community and to, in our individual lives and our communal lives, be about prayer, be about time in the Word, be about taking what we've read in the Word, memorizing it, meditating on it, and thereby integrating that into our lives so that we're actually followers, not just people who know a lot about Jesus, because that is a witness against the church when we know what to do and don't. And we found that in the ancient way, in the ancient believers, that as they gathered as a community and as they chose to serve one another and the community, that Christ was formed in their very lives. They began to look like Jesus. We just explored that twofold mission. Now the apostles are going back to it. And they're saying, this is our core mission. It is true that it is for every believer, but it is our core mission given to us by Jesus before his ascension. And now look what the apostles begin to lean into. Not the very first time in the church, but look at how they trust the work of of God the Holy Spirit in the body of the church. It's hard to overstate 
the critical nature of the decision that these men made. Because if there's a problem at Georgetown, like a toilet slug, friends, I'm telling you, I want to be known not by me telling you, but by somebody else, of course, being like, you know, Chris unslugged that toilet. He's such a servant. Who wouldn't want to have that kind of good news about them? Spoken by somebody else, of course. But in our pride, we would love to be the guy that's like, you know what? Here's the food for you. Hebrew-speaking widow who didn't get any food. Yeah, I'm the hero. We would love to do that. We would love to be the hero. But look at the way the apostles lean into the way the Holy Spirit is active in the body of the church. That is normal. That the Holy Spirit is alive and active in people's lives. This is verse 3. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time on prayer and teaching the Word. So three observations. And I want to make these three observations because Georgetown Christian strives for as long as I've been aware of her existence and what appears to be a past filled with the same. She strives to be a New Testament Christian church. She strives to look just like that church looks when you open your Bible and read it. So at Georgetown Christian, we will, from time to time, choose from among ourselves some people who are respected and they're full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit to run a ministry team. And sometimes it's just for a short time. Like when Robin retired, we had a retirement party and we had a ministry team that just did that and then they went away. Fall festival, you just do the festival and then you're gone. VBS, you do VBS and then you're gone. You're just appointed for a time, a specific ministry need. And then we have other ministry teams like our first impressions team or our next steps team, our library team, our food pantry team, and those ministries just keep going. And they're led by people just like the ones the apostles asked the church to choose. This coming Saturday at GCC, Gwen Hartman and the Women's Bible Study, uh, which meets on Tuesday nights, they'll, they'll be serving our widows, those widows who have registered. If you haven't registered in here today, please talk to me if you want to go to that. You're definitely going. Um, those widows are going to be asked a question this year that is... Something like, do you have any other needs besides, you know, food on Saturday? Do you have any other needs? Do you have any needs that you can't meet and that there's no one to help you meet? Because there, there are plenty of widows in Georgetown Christian and many other churches who know people in the church because of relationships they've built over decades who are already meeting needs that you and I have never heard about. And there are people who aren't widows, maybe widowers, maybe some single moms who, whose needs are being met and we never hear about it. Glory to God, that's great. But what about people who don't have their needs met and they need those needs met? Well, there's a, there's a dinner this Saturday and the women's ministry is going to ask them, do you have any needs that aren't met? And so you might see where this then could be leading. If there are multiple requests and there are multiple needs across multiple homes, then we're going to need a ministry team. We're going to need people who are full of wisdom, the Holy Spirit, and they're respected among the body. 
Number two, observation. There's an entirely different ministry that goes to visit those people who can't make it to church. Some of those people are not widows. Some of those people are still married, but they can't make it to church. That entirely different ministry is called the shut-ins ministry or the visitation ministry. And what happens is people take them, people who are on this team. This team is led by uh, Rick Rowe. And if you would like more information about being on this team, you can find a guy with this face. You can click on our website and you can click on about and then you can email Rick or you can see me or you can call the office and we'll get you in touch with Rick Rowe for a simple training so that you can share communion, prayer and conversation with people on Sundays who can't make it to our gathering. I'd love to share a a really great memory I have when I was probably 15, maybe 16-ish. And uh, so for our teens, hear this, um, and teens that left, I know that, you know, I talked and so Noah probably got bored. But for teens, you need to hear that this opportunity may be true for you. You need to see Mike Boone. If you want to be a part of that team, you need to see Mike Boone. You already know who he is. Uh, so when I was a teen, I got to join this ministry, and I cannot remember what we called it, but we could call it Serving Shut-Ins, because that counts. Uh, we called it Serving Shut-Ins, and I loved getting to do this. We got to go with Dennis, and Dennis taught me how to drive a manual transmission, a stick shift, by sacrificing his clutch for the glory of God and my ability to barely make it from one shut-in to the next. But I developed a relationship with Dennis during some of those mornings when honestly, I just wanted to skip church. But I developed a relationship with a mature Christian who was serving the church that couldn't make it to the gathering of the church. A relationship that's lasted to today. So if you want to be involved in serving our shut-ins, I'd invite you to see Rick. And if you're a teenager, see Mike Boone. And uh, tell Mike Boone that we need a manual transmission Corvette for that ministry. And then I would like to join it also. Okay, observation number three. But, 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 but what about the family? Shouldn't they be helping first? Yes, Paul agrees they should be helping first. You can see that from the time of this first issue in Acts chapter 6 all the way down to where Paul is responding to Timothy who's having issues in Ephesus, Paul writes back to him probably 30 years later-ish, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So it's not only fair to ask, where's the family, but it's also biblical. Second point here under observation number three, we see Paul expand from just a ministry to widows to the family. So this is now no longer just widows, but this is family who is in need. Their family should meet the needs of their family. So yes, the family is the first line, but what if the family is unable to help? Paul continues, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask for God to help. When I left for college, I was like the first kid from my cousin group to leave for college. 
and it was not fun uh, for a variety of reasons, but one of them was I was going to miss helping grandma, because helping grandma a lot of times meant chocolate chip cookies and cinnamon rolls, but I loved helping grandma, and I did kind of actually worry about not only who was going to eat all of her cookies, but I also kind of worried, like, how's grandma going to make it? Well, there were a bunch of other cousins, and there were her three children, and there were their spouses, and so grandma was just fine, but not everybody has a family that size, and not everybody's family stays right there where they live, and those are the widows that are saying, God, my hope is in you. Night and day they're crying out to God, and maybe that's a widow that maybe she's not cared for because her kids moved away. Maybe she's not cared for because her kids have passed away. Maybe she's not cared for because she could never have children. And Paul says that night and day, they ask God for help. Georgetown, that's on us. That's on us. That's where our light has to be so evidently bright to our community that it's undeniable that our lives are transformed by a power that is outside of us making us into people like this community has never seen because of the love that we share for one another. When she is remembered, when the widow is remembered, when the grandfather who can't manage anymore, when they're remembered and evangelism and discipleship don't lose out because the apostles decided they're just going to wash feet now, then the church is built up as Christ intended. All right, we're finishing up here, verses 5 and 6. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Seven guys, they still have the same names. These seven were presented. I don't want to read them either. You guys don't want to read them, do you? I'm not going to read them. <laughs> Stephen, okay, and then the other guys. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Now, did you see that? It was readily apparent it was visible to the church. There wasn't a subcommittee formed on the, trying to research what it means to be full of wisdom or respected or have the Holy Spirit. We didn't need this process of discernment. It was readily evident. There was no squabbling over who might be filled and what it means to be respected. We didn't need to get into Greek and dissect and examine the hermeneutic. They just could see it. The church could see it. And Paul wrote about this, what it is, it is fruit. And Paul wrote about this to the Galatians. He said, when you're living by the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit, you should see these things. He says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You're going to see this in the lives of people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. So the church could see what it was right away because when we're connected to the vine. Okay, rhymes with fruit. That's your answer. It's audience participation time. What is it that the vine produces? When we're connected to the vine, it produces fruit. You guys are the actual most brilliant. That is, man, you guys have nailed both of those. So the choosing of the seven men from among the church, number one, well-respected, number two, full of the spirit and wisdom. And what is the result? Verse seven, we're back to normal. This is what Luke calls normal. Verse 7. And so God's message continued 
to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and your mind would be blown if Jehovah's Witnesses and Islamic imams had this happen. Many of the Jewish priests were converted. Imagine priests of other religions being converted because of our willingness to treat those in need fairly, to continue to meet their needs, but to never miss the mission of evangelizing the lost and disciple-making the saved. As much as we might love to be the guy that says, I helped that widow out over there. Did you guys see that? We might love that for ourselves, but by God's grace and our faith to continue to walk in the Holy Spirit, we will become more and more ever increasingly united into the head which is Jesus and ourselves looking like Jesus to a community that's still looking for hope. They're trying to make sense of the disaster that is our current world. And friends, when we get this right, we are a light to the world. We're that city on a hill because when it's dark for them and they're looking for hope, our light, that's the glory of God, will be reflected into our community. We'll look like disciples. Today, friends, if you have not decided to follow Christ, if you've not made yourself a member of his body, if you are currently living in sin for which you need to repent, it is that time, and I'm asking you to not ignore the call of the Holy Spirit on your heart right now saying, get right with me. Join this family. Lay down your life. Become a part of the body of Christ. Friends, if you have a decision to make, you can come forward while they sing you can meet back at the Next Steps booth, but I encourage you not to ignore the call on your heart that God has made you to become who he's created you to be. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word, for your Holy Spirit, for your church. Father, thank you for Jesus who lived a life that we can pattern ours after. Father, thank you for the opportunity to become made into his image by the power of your Holy Spirit at work in our hearts and lives. Father, by your grace, would you help us to be ever aware of whether widows or widowers are in need within the church? And Father, by your grace, would you help us to not only meet those needs, but remain focused on the mission that you've given us of sharing the good news and helping believers become disciple makers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.